Good morning. We are Dick and Patty Klatt, and we are sitting at our dining room table at our, in our home in Lakeville. This is where we gather with friends and family to catch up and strengthen our bonds. Patty. I'm going to be reading from two different uh, translations of the Bible. This first one is from the message. Genesis 1, 6 through 8. God spoke. Sky, in the middle of the waters, separate water from water. God made sky. He separated the water under the sky from the water above sky. And there it was, he named the sky heavens. It was evening, it was morning, day two. Matthew 5, 5 21 to 22. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. Anyone who says, You fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Thank you for joining us in our home this morning. Well, welcome and thank you, Dick and Patty. Thank you, Carrie. Thank you, John. It's so good to see other people's faces on the screen, and I'm sure you feel the same way. But today we go to a subject that not a lot of us like to talk about, like those moments where you feel like you got hit over the head with a two-by-four. I don't know if you've used that phrase before. It was something I think I heard my shop teacher say when oblivious students were just not getting the concept. Somehow or someone translated into it a prayer for the clueless. God, make this so obvious that I won't miss it. Again, I don't know if you prayed it. It's a dangerous prayer to make. The first time I remember praying it, I was a sophomore in college involved in too many activities. I was on the swim team, I was on the marching band, fellowship Christian athletes leadership, and resident hall assistant. And I told God that he'd have to make it really obvious if he wanted me to quit something, like break my leg or something. A few days later, I tripped down the stairs of my residence hall, twisted my ankle, and was on crutches for a few weeks out of everything. Do you know the original meaning of sophomore means smart fool? And I saw a few of you online, so uh, shout out to Bart and Paula, who loved me through my smart fool years. Uh, I didn't pray that prayer again, but a couple of months after I was married, I think my wife prayed it for me. I came home from work one day after many days of working far too many hours in my first year of teaching, and there was a note taped on the door. It was really more of a picture than a note because there were more pictures than words on it. But I came up to the door and there was this, this page and it said, Rob's time. And there were five or six circles on it, big circles and small circles. And right in the middle of the paper, a very, very small circle that you actually couldn't fit any words in. There was just a line that came out from it that said my wife's name. And then it said, remember me? You can probably guess some of the other circles, but that's a two-by-four moment. And I don't know how you responded to my 
two-by-four moments. But I was hurt. I was angry, so much so that I burst into our apartment and I shouted stuff that I can't remember. It was like puny little pellets that were bouncing off the wall that my wife was constructing to keep from getting hurt. I really couldn't mount any defense. She was exactly right. It was just my sad attempt at deflecting. And then I walked away. I didn't walk away permanently, and I don't recommend walking away without saying you're coming back, but I went for a walk, and I came back, and we did talk, and it was hard. And after we talked, we prayed, and it was still hard. And I knew that I was in this pressure cooker moment, if you will. I, I, was, I felt hammered, but there was this choice. I was living like a single person, someone who sets their own schedule and does what they want and thinks of himself first. And that guy had dried up a few months ago when I got married. And now I could either become the man I had vowed to become, the man that I think my wife wanted, the man that I think God wanted, or I could stay the same. Not expand, not grow, not become. And if you wonder what staying the same would look like, picture Uncle Rico from, you know, the beloved Napoleon Dynamite. He's a middle-aged, steak-loving former athlete that will spend, uh, who lives in his camper van and spends any free moment throwing footballs, hopelessly hanging on to his dreams of NFL stardom. Uncle Rico is stuck in the past, like 1983, too unaware that he's dried up and too afraid to actually be formed into something new. Now, I didn't know much at the time, but I knew I didn't want to shrivel up and give up as a husband. See, those moments, those are day two moments. And as we talk about creation's new beginning, we we want to think about it from the standpoint of maybe a template of all new beginnings, a way that we can look at all the opportunities that God wants to create us new. So if day one moments are about God's spirit being present in the tovu vavohu, God's voice speaking light into the darkness, then day two moments are about letting go of something that is known but used up and stepping into what is unknown but capable of holding all kinds of life. So in Genesis 1, like Dick and Patty read, the ancients described the new beginning to speak of everything unformed as waters. And so on day two, God forged an expanse, a vault, if you will, in the middle of the waters above, what we'll call sky and air, and the waters below, what will become land and sea. And the expanse that's created in that middle will actually be the reality that will have humans and plants and animals live and move and have their existence. Now, this Hebrew word for expanse is the word rakia. It's kind of fun to say. You could say it too, rakia. It's not as fun as tovu vavohu, but it's still fun. Now, rakia means to hammer something or pound it out, to be stretched and made firm. It's like 
a soft metal in the hands of a skilled artisan who is hammering and spreading it out to become a thin sheet that would beautify something, or maybe even heating up a metal that would form it into a tool or a sword. The book of Job has the writer saying, can you join him, God, in spreading out the skies hard as a mirror of cast bronze? The ancients believed that it took something strong to hold up the universe and that it was God who hammered out this dome to separate the waters from the waters. Rakia comes from this word raka, and raka is a word that we heard in the second scripture. It's used in Jesus' famous teaching on redefining what it means to murder someone. He says, you know, if you even think about murdering someone, if you say to a brother or sister, Raka, you're answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fires of hell. Raka is the teenager who says to his or her annoying sibling, stop it now or I'm going to kill you. Never happens in our house, but that's Raka. It means to be so angry that you call someone idiot or probably several other choice words that might be inappropriate in the setting. Raka is the toddler who stomps her foot on the ground after mom gives two good options and she says, those are your options, mommy, I want my own. That's Raka. It's about being stretched and expanded and hammered. Think about a woman who becomes pregnant. You can literally see her abdomen physically expanding. She's stretching and changing to house new life. It's un- I'm told it's uncomfortable and painful, but it will be beautiful. What most of us can't see, though, is how she's stretching and expanding mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. The questions that she's asking about wondering what kind of mom she's going to be like. What part of her identity as a wife or a woman is going to be erased with this new life? See, that's also Raka. And it doesn't just happen to moms. Think about the experience of expanding your job skills, even now in this COVID time, to meet the growing challenges of your work. That's Raka. Or how many of you parents have found yourself nailing it at the age your kids used to be? but totally struggling at the age they are now. And I can't tell you the number of marriages that have shown up in my office ready to give up because one, or usually both, of the people are stuck. Refusing to expand or adapt over the years of marriage, and they now find themselves across a chasm, wondering if they can stretch across and make it work. All of that is Raka. In fact, would you write in the comments, would you, this is vulnerable for me, even though I can't see you, friends, but would you write in the comments where you've needed to expand or stretch into something new? Uh, I find it fascinating that if you carefully read about day two, you actually don't see the word good on that day or in what happens that day. Now, the word good in Hebrew is tov. It means light-giving or life-giving. It's when the potential for life comes forth to bring more life. So it will be good, 
but it's not good in that moment. See, when we say yes to the expansive work that God performs on day two, we will stretch to hold future life and become a person who can even bring forth life. And that, friends, is very good. So how do we become those kinds of people who can adapt and expand to hold new life? Those are the day two moments. They're painful, but they will be good. Well, in order to find our inspiration and encouragement, we go to a person in the Bible named Joseph. It's in the book of Genesis. The story starts in Genesis 37. It's quite a long narrative, so we're not going to put it up on the screen, but I encourage you to read it on your own. And the backstory is that Joseph is the 11th of 12 sons. Now, these 12 sons came from four wives, two sisters and two servants. Now, I don't care what the customs of the day were, that's going to lead to some family tension and drama. Now, sometimes families joke about who's the child favorite in the house, but in Joseph's family, his dad decided to make sure that everyone knew who his favorite was by giving his favorite son, Joseph, an ostentatious jacket. It was something so long and richly decorated that you'd never do work in it. In fact, I doubt Joseph did any hard work of their farm. The story makes it sound like he's quite a dreamer, not a a worker. But not only is he a dreamer, God has given him this unique ability to interpret dreams. So I picture this confident 17-year-old who thinks he knows everything, who's probably book smart, but not very street smart, and he thinks it's a good idea to share his dreams with his older brothers. Dreams like, Hey guys, I was having this dream while you were working and literally bundling wheat in the fields. I saw my bundle of wheat, even though I don't do that work, I saw my bundle of wheat rise up above your bundles of wheat, and then after it rose up, your bundles of wheat bowed down to it. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, not something Joseph's older, stronger, and neglected brothers probably appreciated. As the story goes, it actually uses the word hate three times in that first 10 verses. It might be why his brothers, just a little bit later, throw him down in an empty pit and leave him for dead. Because Raka makes you do some uncool things. It was actually Joseph's father who sent him out to see how his brothers were doing. They were in a place called Shechem, and they were tending to the flocks. And Joseph's brothers had had uh, some unfortunate experiences in Shechem, so they could have been in danger. And the father was well aware of the hatred and the jealousy between the brothers and Joseph. And yet, as he keeps pondering that, this father decides to send his beloved son, to see to the shalom of his brothers. Now, seeing to the shalom of someone is a very Hebrew way of saying to see to someone's well-being, to see to their safety and their welfare and their wholeness. In the midst of COVID-19, we actually hear a lot of stories of others seeing to the shalom of others, looking out for their goodness and their wholeness. And so a father sends his beloved son into harm's way so that his brothers can find peace and wholeness 
and safety. Friends, does this sound a little bit like Easter? (laughs) It should. And this idea will mark Joseph's whole life if he will accept it and expand with it. See, I wonder if we, like Joseph, can say yes to a loving Heavenly Father, believing that He wants us to become the people that we were designed and maybe even destined to become. Now, those yeses are not easy for Joseph or for us. They are often long and slow and arduous. But in the midst of that, like Joseph, we usually end up in some empty pits. See, saying yes to being expanded often starts with being emptied. Something you could take note of right now and probably something that doesn't sound fun, but hang with me because when we're emptied, it makes space for us to deal with things that we don't want to deal with. We like to read through this part of the story really quickly, just like we like to live our story really quickly when it gets hard and when we're emptied. But God has a way of emptying us to allow circumstances, excuse me, God has a way of allowing circumstances to empty us. Not because he loves pain or hardship, but because he loves us. For those of us who aren't fighting for life over death in the midst of Corona virus and the COVID-19 pandemic, this economic slowdown and stay at home might feel like a pit. We can't pretend we're okay by wearing fancy clothes because we can only shop online and we can't always get the stuff we want to online. We can't entertain ourselves with professional sports or stadium concerts. We can't overextend ourselves with extracurricular activities. We can't even run ourselves so ragged that we have no time for reflection and prayer. We're stuck in a pit. Is is it possible that we're being offered a life reset? Again, friends, I don't want to downplay the COVID-19 pandemic and the seriousness of this virus or the thousands and thousands of people who are dying. But I simply want to offer to the millions and millions who are staying at home and staying safe, waiting for life to go back to normal, that maybe God wants us to go back to something better than normal. Maybe God is providing this moment for each of us to be stretched in some new way to allow us to inhabit a new place of new life. See, Genesis 37, all the way to the end of Genesis, 13 chapters, details Joseph's journey from sitting around as a favorite son to sitting in an empty pit to being sold into slavery where he's probably forced to work more than he's ever worked in his life, and yet he can finally feel what his brothers felt. And later, from that place of flourishing, he faces unjust accusation and is thrown in another pit, this time prison, and forgotten about. And yet, all along the way, it says that God was with Joseph. Now, I don't take that to mean it was easy for Joseph to endure. I take that to mean he didn't forget who God was and is and what God might be doing in him and around him in all of those moments. 
See, I believe Joseph was being expanded so that he could see to the shalom of not only his brothers, but of more and more and more people. And Joseph is eventually released from prison and becomes second in command in the most powerful country in the world. And it's from that place of power that Joseph uses his ability to interpret dreams to give God glory and to save a country, not only Egypt, but many, many people from the surrounding countries that come and seek aid and receive it, including Joseph's brothers. And all through this, God was with Joseph, and Joseph was enduring and expanding to become the person that God had created him to be, one that would see to the goodness and wholeness of others. In Genesis 45, 5 through 7, Joseph said to his brothers, even though they quite didn't recognize him, God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years, the famine has been in the land, and there are still five more to go where there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you. See, Joseph began and ended his assessment of their crisis with references to God. God preceded the famine. God would outlive the famine. And Joseph knew that God was with him in the famine. Friends, it might feel like we're two years into the coronavirus and we have five more to go. But God was before the pandemic. God will be after the pandemic. And God is with us in this pandemic. We don't have to be afraid. Just like God was creating a leader in Joseph, he needed some expanding. He went from a life of privilege that flaunted his status to a selfless leader that said to his starving and hateful brothers who came pleading for food in Genesis 50, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. Friends, this is what we're invited to. These are day two moments. I have a couple questions for you to ponder as we close today, as we think about what God might be inviting us into in these moments. And the first is just simply, what do you need to believe like Joseph, that the Lord is always with you? What do you need so you can believe that God is with you? That God is with you in the temptations and the trials and the tests? That he's with you in the good and the bad and the uncertain? That he's with you in unemployment? That he's with you in your family struggles? That he's with you in this pandemic? That God is with you. Cry out to him for what you need. And the second like Joseph being emptied in that empty pit, what do you need to let go of in order that you can expand into the person that God already sees you to be? That he loves you right where you're at, but he sees your whole life. And he sees that expansion and he invites you into it, but you need to let go of something. I need to let go of something. Have you talked to him about that? And then what do you need to receive from Jesus or his followers, so that you can expand. See, Jesus knows all about being emptied. In Philippians 2, it says that we should have the same attitude as Christ Jesus, that though he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God, something to be grasped, but he 
emptied himself. And he took on the form of a slave. And he looked like just a human being. And he shared in our human nature. And he humbled himself, become obedient, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And as a result of emptying himself, God exalted him and gave him the name that is above all names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess from every tribe and place and region that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus is with you. He knows all about the emptying and the suffering. And he is receiving glory. And he will come down. And the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. Wants to encourage you in these moments to be stretched into the person that God already sees. So would you look at those questions? Would you ask the Spirit of God, What do I need to receive and what do I need to let go of? God loves you. God likes you. He delights in you. Would you let him receive your love today, your belief today, your hope today, whatever you have. You might not feel like you have anything to bring, but bring yourself. That's enough. Lord, we lift up your name. We thank you for the story of Joseph that we read really quickly, but there are years and years and years that go by. And God, we might feel like we're in a time where we're in years and years and years. I pray that we wouldn't just wish that away, but we would pause and we would invite you into the moments that you are already with us in. We would see that you're there, that you love us, that you like us, and that you love us so much that you even invite us into empty pit moments to be expanded into new people, able to bring forth new things and new life. Amen.